0: Greetings, I hope you're having a great day. Whatever the day is that you're listening to this podcast, I hope it's been fantastic. It's a fantastic day where I sit. It's a Thursday afternoon. It's hot outside, but tonight the cool weather comes to Cincinnati, and I cannot wait for fall. Uh, Welcome to The Well, as always. Uh, My name is Sean Barkley, and I'm happy to have you here. As you know, The Well in Jesus' Day was a place that people got together. They would exchange ideas. They would get life-sustaining water. It was a community gathering place. And that's really what I want to do with you. That's what we do in these podcasts. We get the life-sustaining living water, but we also just enjoy uh, interacting with one another and having meaningful conversations. And so, welcome, and I'm glad to have you along. Have you ever had a friend that you feel like you should pay to be your friend? I have at least one in my life, and he's sitting, seated to my left. His name is Chuck Proudfit. Chuck uh, is here in Cincinnati, he is the founder of At Work On Purpose, he is also the uh, owner and CEO of SkillSource, and uh, he is a, a devout follower of Jesus. One of the things I love about Chuck, and we're going to interview him in just a second, one of the things I love about Chuck is he, he loves the church as it is, but he also uh, loves to think about where the church is going, where the Holy Spirit's leading the church, And as you know, of course, every 500 years, it seems God does something new. And the good news is we're at that 500-year point. And so God is doing a lot of new things in the church. I'm a Presbyterian minister. I believe that the church is reformed and always reforming according to the Word of God. And I'm wondering what that reformation looks like. And so I've invited Chuck to have a conversation with us about where he sees the trends uh, as as we know, and if you've listened to any of the sermons that I preach at Crestview Church, if you watch online, uh, we talk often about where the culture is going in terms of uh, worship attendance decreasing, people less and less interested in church. 35% of all people in Cincinnati want nothing to do with Jesus whatsoever. And so that's kind of where we are. I talked to a buddy of mine not long ago who said, it's going off the cliff, attendance is. But that doesn't mean that God's done, and it doesn't mean that God doesn't have something new for us. And so let's just sit back and let Chuck teach us a little bit about what he sees God doing and where he sees God moving the church and what the church is going to look like. So Chuck, first of all, thanks a million for being my friend. You're welcome. It, it's free, right? It's free. <laughs> today. It. It's free today. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and um, did I accurately portray you as the founder of At Work On Purpose? And yes. I, and what is At Work On Purpose exactly?
1: At Work On Purpose is a ministry okay. that guides Christians to integrate faith and work. Gotcha. And SkillSource is? SkillSource is a consultancy that helps to create sustainable growth for our clients. And we do that through strategic development, leadership development, and cultural development. Awesome. Well, you're a busy man. And, and, and your background, where are you from? I grew up in Colorado. I came to Cincinnati after graduating from school to take a job at Procter & Gamble. So it was a job. It was work-life that brought me to Cincinnati. Interesting.
0: And so as you look at the landscape of where the culture is going, where do you see the church? Where's God? What's God doing? Where's God moving the church?
1: Well, I'm really glad you started with that question around context and culture because if we look at the history of the church you're absolutely right that every 500 years there's been a major disruption or change in the way that the church looks and 500 years ago was the protestant reformation and when we look at it through the lens of the church what we see are the theological or spiritual changes or upheavals but what we can forget is the cultural context the larger big picture of what was going on at the time and i would suggest to you That we're at a 500-year mark where I think we are due for a disruption. Mm. But I would suggest that it's not just disruption in what we think of as the church, but it's disruption in society. So for example, I come from the private sector and in the business world, we have the term disruptor or disruptive companies like Uber that disrupts the taxi cab industry, right? Or Amazon that disrupts the whole retail industry. Well, I would go a step further and say if you step side of the business space, you go into the political space, I would suggest that Donald Trump is a disruptor. Mm-hmm. I think we are in a season where our entire government is being disrupted. Mm-hmm. And I think that whole trend is much bigger than just one person, one personality. I think it's in the private sector, I think it's in the public sector, but I also think it's in the social sector, which includes the local church. And what we do see on the surface are the symptoms, like you were describing, you know, going off a cliff where Mm. a local church says, wait a minute, where are our congregants? You know, Sunday rolls around, but nobody's rolling into the parking lot. Nobody's coming to services. And we definitely see that trend nationally where fewer people are attending church if they consider themselves regular attenders that's not every week anymore it might just be once a month Mm -hmm. people's concept of giving and participation volunteering looks very different so there's no question that we can see those symptoms but i think underneath that is root cause it's like what's really causing this and what can we expect to come out of it i think part of root cause is that as the church we have disconnected too much from the realities of the people that we want to serve in these congregations. So they are starting to seek solutions in other places. Uh, they go to government for solutions that the church should be providing, or they they go online and they're trying to find resources from whatever number of providers that they could get there. And they don't see the church is speaking into their felt needs the way I know that we can right. and the way that we should. So I think if I look at root cause, what I see is a church that's trying to figure out what it looks like to be relevant Mm. in the 21st century. Mm -hmm. What does it look like for us to be a church where people say, that is the first place I want to go if I need help? I mean, imagine that for a second. If a business person loses a major account and the business he or she leads is on the verge of bankruptcy, and they think the first place I need to go is my local church because that's where I could find expertise. I mean, that's that's a radical idea to even suggest that, right? But why not? And if we look back to the roots of the church, to that phrase, there are fruits in the the roots, right? Right. If we go back to roots in the early church and the early days, This was a very different way of thinking about church than the way we think about it today. There's a great book out I can recommend to all of the listeners. It's Ecclesia by Dr. Ed Silvoso. And in this book, he unpacks a different way of looking at what we think of as church. And I believe in those insights are some possibilities for our future as the church. The uh, first one comes from Matthew 16, 18. Jesus is typically quoted to say, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail
0: against it. And when I hear that, I think he's going to build brick and mortar churches, body of Christ. That's what my mind hears when I hear that.
1: Right. And most people don't know this, but that was very intentional because at the time that King James commissioned the King James Bible, he issued an edict to the authors, the scribes, that everywhere they found the word "ecclesia," they had to replace it with the word "church."
0: Chuck, you're blowing the whole thing up.
1: I I know, but I'm just being real with you. Do it because King James wanted to house the worship in the houses of right. worship because the church culturally was disrupting the political agenda, gotcha. and and the simplicity of governing. Right. So my point is, what Jesus actually said in Matthew 16:18 was, "I will build my ecclesia." and the gates of Hades shall not prevail. So again. explain
0: what the ecclesia is.
1: So this was a concept that predated Jesus birth by hundreds of years. Okay. It originated in Greece as a governing assembly, but it was perfected by the Roman Empire. When Rome would conquer a territory, they would win the peace by sending out what they called an ecclesia. This was a small number of upstanding Roman citizens who would move into the conquered territory they would acculturate the locals in the language and the lifestyle of Rome until everyone around them walked and talked like a Roman. So when the Romans conquered the Israelites, they sent an ecclesia to Jerusalem. And so at the time of Jesus' earthly ministry, when Jesus said, I will build my ecclesia, everybody who was listening to him automatically understood the context. He was saying, I am going to co-opt a familiar Roman military term and infuse it with kingdom DNA. I will build my ecclesia. I will raise up a small number of fully devoted followers who will infiltrate the culture around them for Christ and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against them. So they will walk and
0: talk like Jesus.
1: Yes. That was what
0: Jesus was actually saying in Matthew 16, 18. So we think of ecclesia, we think of... Jesus is gonna build these big buildings with steeples on top, and everybody's gonna get together on Sunday morning, but the original language implied something entirely different.
1: Yeah, instead of going to church, you become the church, that we are the church. The original premise was essentially what today we might describe as incarnational ministry, to be the church wherever we go, at home, at work, at large, it doesn't matter where we are, We are the church wherever we go.
0: So let me stop you there real quick, because I know you've got a couple other points of Jesus appropriating military terms from the Romans. Do you see the future church resembling that original intent of Jesus, that we will be the ecclesia in the community?
1: Yes, because on the one hand, every 500 years there's been an upheaval in how the church works. But every 500 years, the church has figured out the next level of what it looks like to work, (laughs) So I know we're going to figure this out, and I know that it's going to have an ecclesia flavor to it. It already is. This is already happening. We're already seeing all kinds of expression of church that is outside the framework of what we think of as local church. And and for the listeners, please hear my heart. I say this with respect to the local Mm. church. I'm a passionate uh, church goer. I'm an elder in a local church, so in no way am I dissing the local church. And at the same time, I'm saying yeah. that we have to reinvent what we think of as local church in order to be most effective as the big C church.
0: Mm, gotcha. So number two.
1: Yes. Yeah, so Jesus actually appropriated three Roman military terms. The first was Matthew 16, 18 with Ecclesia. The second is Matthew 18, 20, where Jesus is quoted to say, where two or three are gathered, there I am in their midst. This was actually the Roman term, conventus civium Romanorum. What it meant was where two or three Roman citizens are gathered in a foreign land, the empire of Rome is present with them. So Rome believed that when two or three Roman citizens would enter a foreign land that had not yet been conquered by Rome, this is almost like the advance party, the scouting party that was essentially introducing the premise of Roman culture before Rome came to invade the culture and acculturate them to Rome. So when Jesus says, where two or three are gathered, there I am in their midst, he was appropriating another Roman military concept and infusing it with kingdom
0: DNA. So what does that look like tangibly, or what did it look like then for Jesus' followers? What does it look like now? I, this is us? such a great
1: question. I believe what it looked like then and what it looks like okay. now is that, for example, we go to work every day and we... Do a spiritual audit. We find out where there are other believers in our place of work. And in many cases, it'll just be two or three. We'll be surrounded by non-believers. But if those two or three believers come together, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. So we are essentially bringing the church into our place of work, Mm -hmm. for example, just with two or three. And I'd go a step further. We're finding in the marketplace that in terms of team dynamics and high-functioning teams, the best size for teams is small. Right. It's like, call it three to five people. You get larger than that, and the productivity rate goes down.
0: Well, Jesus had the 12, but he also had uh, the the three. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so what I'm saying is, what if we started to think differently about ourselves individually as a part of the church, but also what it means to be corporately the church, that it could be two or three of us gathered, in a space that God's calling us to restore, reclaim, to be holy Mm. ground. Mm.
0: So you've got number three.
1: Yeah, so number three is the term apostle. In Roman military tradition, an apostle was an admiral in charge of a fleet of ships bringing building materials from Rome to the conquered territory to build Roman facilities that would physically imprint the Roman Empire on the landscape of the conquered territory. So when Jesus and and the apostles would use a term apostle, what they were really saying, once again, a Roman military term, but we're infusing it with kingdom DNA. So a spiritual apostle is essentially a resourcing leader who is bringing materials to bear to build a facility, which I would suggest is a spiritual facility, mm-hmm. and a, a spiritual infrastructure that will
0: cover the landscape. So give me some hope. What is, um, what is the implication of all this for the local church today? What What do we need to be doing or thinking about as local congregations as we think about the Spirit moving us into a new expression of what church is going to look like?
1: Well, in the marketplace, we love to say that in every difficulty, there is an opportunity. Right. So the local church is in a season of difficulty where the prevailing model of what it looks like to be a successful church is rapidly becoming outmoded. So to be a successful church, you need bodies,
0: budget, buildings.
1: Yes, three B's. And that's been the, the, the yeah, that's, church growth model, right, we, for years. It, and pastors were defined as more and more successful if they had more bodies, more budget numbers, and more buildings. Right. But in the future, what the opportunity is, is to reinvent what it looks like to be the church. And I believe that the next generation of local church is going to be less organizational or institutional mm-hmm. and more biological almost like an organism it's going to be an interconnected network there's a marketplace term a network of relationships where individually and collectively we are bringing the church to our sphere of influence but we are also in relationship with each other and I think the local church as we envision it today you know we talk about gathered and scattered right I think we need to start replacing those two words with assembled and assigned so we're we're assembled at different points during the week maybe it's sunday or maybe it's another day of the week but we are assigned by god to all of these different Areas of society. I mean, just take work life, for example. We are assigned to public sector or private sector or social sector. We're assigned to different industries, different employers, mm-hmm. different zip codes, different jobs, different departments, different office buildings. But wherever our sphere of influence is, this is where we can have a spiritual imprint. And most people don't know this. The average size of a local church congregation in the U.S. is about 85 people, according mm-hmm. to George Barnum in his research, but the average working Christian has a sphere of influence of 250 people, three times the size.
0: And they're with them all the time.
1: And they're with them all
0: through the week. So tell me, so what happens when we're assembled before we're assigned? In that assembling, what needs to be happening for the church to be equipping the people for their assignment?
1: In scripture, it says we need to be equipping the saints. Right. What I believe the future of the local church looks like is when we're assembled, it increasingly is about believers being assembled to be equipped, better Mm -hmm. equipped, and not just from pastors who are imparting, but from each other as we equip each other, iron sharpens iron, to be a more effective church body out in the world at large. Now that's a very different frame of reference for assembled versus, for example, seeker targeted and just getting a mix Mm -hmm. of believers and non-believers. This is about assembling believers to become a stronger force to
0: reach the culture. Gotcha, tell me about worship. Is there, where do you see worship in the life of the local church, in the assembling of God's people?
1: I'm so glad you asked that question. Um, I love the term worship, and I hate the way we typically use it. Okay. So many Christians that I talk to, when they say worship, they mean music. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that is a one-dimensional construct for worship in a three-dimensional reality. Other times when they say worship, you know, I worship on the weekends. So I worship on the weekends when I go to my church. But then during the work week, it's implied that all that is secular. So that's not worship. Whereas the weekends are worship because they're sacred. Mm. Well, that is a lie from the pit of hell. So what I'm saying is... (laughs) Could you be more strong about that, Chuck? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) All I'm saying is our lives are to be an act of worship. Anything that isn't sinful in our lives is sacred. Work is a form of worship, but every dimension of our life should either be moving us uh, in the direction of God's will, which is good, or when we sin or fall short, it's moving us away from God's will for a life, which is bad.
0: Incredible. Well, as we wrap up, tell me again those three words, ecclesia, Ecclesia. where three or more, two or more are gathered. Yep. And And that was a big Latin word that I cannot pronounce. Conventus, civium, Romanorum. Whatever you say. And then the third is? Apostle. Apostle. Chuck, I really appreciate this conversation. This is not going to be the last time we get together and talk about this. Hopefully uh, you at The Well have enjoyed it as well. And I also hope that you are having a terrific day, that it ends well, and that you remember that God has it all in His capable hands. Have a wonderful day.